Welcome. Thank you for joining us at Calvary Chapel Valdosta as we listen to Pastor Deshaun Van Cleve start a new sermon series from the book of Colossians. Today's sermon entitled Preparing the Foundation is found in Colossians 1, 1 through 13. Let us prepare for the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning. This morning is a little bit exciting. We are making our way through the study that we uh, mentioned several weeks ago about studying the prison epistles. And we have gone successfully through the book of Ephesians and the book of Philippians. And we find ourselves this morning in the book of Colossians. So why don't you turn there for me. The book of Colossians is just after Philippians. Remember these books that are titled the the prison epistles are letters that Paul the Apostle wrote when he was in prison in Rome during his first imprisonment that you'll find there at, in, after or in Acts chapter 28. And so making our way through, we see the things in, that were in Paul's mind, the Apostle Paul, the things that were in his mind, the things that he, were, he was concerned about, especially for the Christians. And we find and we have found so many principles going through the book of Ephesians and then making our way through the book of Philippians. So many principles that will help us live out and walk out this Christian life. Now, I said we successfully went through those books mainly because we started at verse one, chapter one, and we ended at the last chapter, last verse. But the real success is how much of this stuff we apply to our lives. That's the real success. It is how much of this we are able to appropriate into our walks and becomes a part of our being and our thinking and our doing. That determines the true success, the practical and spiritual application. So please let us not miss that as we go through these books, that it would not be just an exercise in knowledge, but an exercise in practice, and we would become stronger Christians, more effective Christians, and Christians that resemble Christ more closely. So we're in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, and this morning we're going to be studying down from Colossians 1 down to verse 13. And as we normally do, let's stand first and foremost, and give honor to God's Word. And then we'll sit down and explore the book of Colossians and see what God has to say to us in this next letter. So I'm going to read down from verse 1 down to verse 13 to prep our hearts, and then we'll sit down and discover. It says in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, Whereof you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which is come to you as it is in all the world and brings forth fruit as it does also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared to us your love in the spirit for this cause. We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord to all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks to the Father, which has made us meet or fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, 
who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And we thank you, Lord, for these words here this morning in Colossians. I pray that you would meet us here and that your Holy Spirit would move upon our mental faculty, our brains, Lord, that you will open up our minds to be able to receive what you have for us this morning. This is not a natural exercise, but a spiritual exercise. And so we don't want to approach it with a natural mind and miss what the Spirit has to say to us, Lord. I pray as we go through Colossians, you will meet us where we are, Lord, and you will show us any deficiencies in our walk, and that you will give us the diligence to put these things into practice, that we might not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So as we sit at your feet, Lord, we pray that you would bless us, and we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Colossians. The actual name Colossians is where we can kind of get a derivative colossal, or it actually means a monstrosity, the book of uh, the city, the, the name, the title of this, to the Colossians. Now I want you to understand that the book to the, the letter to the Colossians centers around a city called Colossae, and it's over in modern-day Turkey. Back then, it was called Asia Minor. And so you had Asia to the east, and this was Asia Minor. It was the only country that spans two continents, just as it is today. Uh, so we have the continent of Europe, and we also have the continent of Asia there with Turkey. Now, there in modern-day Turkey, there was a region called Frugia. And in the region of Frugia uh, laid this city, Colossae. Colossi. And so it was part of a triad of cities. It was part of a city called Laodicea. You read that in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus came to the Laodiceans and said that they were lukewarm, not hot or cold. It was also close to a uh, city called Hierapolis. So it was Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossi. And Colossi... <coughs> was known, a city known for its wool trade. It made this deep, dark red wool. It was a very expensive wool. Sometimes they would call it a purplish type color. But it wasn't a big city. It wasn't a chief city like we read about the Philippians and Philippoi. It wasn't a chief city like that. Nor was it the size of Ephesus. Nowhere near the size of Ephesus there on the coast. But Colossae was a very, very small city. In fact, by the time Paul wrote this letter, some believe around A.D. 60, around A.D. 61, by the time he wrote this letter to the believers here, there was a great earthquake that had occurred in Colossae. And it, it devastated the entire region. I mean, destroyed it. And they had to rebuild it again. But it was always competing with the other two cities, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. In fact, Colossae became more and more insignificant, and Laodicea became more and more prominent. It became the financial district there in the Phrygian region of Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey. And so this place, Colossae, was an interesting place because, number one, Paul the Apostle never visited Colossae. We find that that intimation or assumption from chapter 2, verse 1, uh, the apostle said, For I wish that you knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. And so this would be a city that Paul never visited, but somehow converted. There were believers there that converted to Jesus Christ. And it wasn't somehow, it was by some of Paul's companions. But Paul is writing a letter almost in the blind, in the dark, to a group of people that he had never seen. And you have to think about it to yourself. What would you say to a group of people that you have never seen? What would you say to a person that you had never spoken to before ever in your life? 
And now you have a chance to write a letter to them and you want to you want to say something. You know it's not going to be a, a long treatise, but it was going to be something very, very short, potent, and impactful. What would you say? You would be pairing your words. You would think about your words. What do you really need to say to these people? And as we read the book of Colossians, we find out what this book is all about. There was a lot of heresy taking place in Colossae among the Colossian believers. And there were people that were coming in trying to subvert their faith. Paul got some of this information from one of his companions that may have founded this church here. And as he gets this information, it now comes to him. It formulates in his mind what he really needs to say to these believers. Look, the theme of this entire study in the book of Colossians will be the Christian's greatest need. The Christian's greatest need is somewhat similar to what we said with the last study through Philippians. We said it was the Christian's greatest secret, and that was having joy. But this study through Colossians is the Christian's greatest need. And the Christian's greatest need is the cornerstone. The cornerstone. If you're going to share anything, you're going to share the most important thing. Because we know last words are lasting words. And if he never got a chance to talk to the Colossians again, they would have this reverberating in their hearts and in their minds. The Christian's greatest need, which is the cornerstone. Now we know from the scriptures, this cornerstone is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What Paul writes to the believers in Colossae is that they need to know, they need to know the Savior. They need to know the cornerstone. You have to understand construction a bit to, to get an idea of what the cornerstone is. The cornerstone was a very important stone, and it still is. It's the stone that oftentimes is laid first in a building, but it's a stone that is in a certain section of a building through which every other stone pivots. Through which every other stone in this building finds its, its accuracy. Through which the building becomes plumb and fixed the right. It has to pivot, it has to hinge off the position of the cornerstone. The cornerstone is very important. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, it tells us something about the cornerstone. In verse 16 of Isaiah 28, the prophet says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believes shall not make haste. I remember becoming a Christian, and one of the songs that the worship team was singing is, uh, Jesus, you are my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I put my trust in your holy word. I remember that, that song, Firm Foundation. I was singing the entire song, but the Lord hasn't gifted me there in that area, so I'll, I'll save your ears a little bit of trouble. But listen, the cornerstone, it was mentioned, it was a precious stone. It was a stone for a foundation, a cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus mentioned this even again. And he says in Matthew 21, beginning in verse 42, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That comes from Psalm 118, by the way. But Jesus mentions the cornerstone, and we also find it written throughout the epistles or the letters to the churches. Uh, we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, that Peter mentions also this cornerstone. 1 Peter 2, 6. 
Peter says, Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Now, anytime you see a truth that is taught in the Old Testament, is mentioned in the Gospels, and is taught again in the letters to the churches, it is a principle for the churches to follow. And so sometimes you'll find people, they make doctrines out of, they'll pull something out of the Old Testament, and it's not necessarily found in the New Testament, it's not found in the Gospels, and it's not necessarily something that, should, that the church would be built on. And so a lot of principles you find in the Old Testament, Jesus speaks about it, teaches on it in the, New, in the Gospels, and is taught in the church through the letters, then it is safe for us to implement and practice. Jesus is the cornerstone. And Paul the Apostle, having never been to this place, Colossae, he's been in the region, but never to this place, based on chapter 2, verse 1 of Colossians. He writes to them about the most important thing, the greatest need for the Christian. And that is for the Christian to know the cornerstone. If you know the cornerstone, then your life can pivot off of that. If you know the cornerstone, your life can be accurate. You can walk this walk with a straight gait. Not a crooked one, but straight and narrow. So we have to know the cornerstone, and this is what Paul wants the believers here to know, the cornerstone. So in chapter 1, he's going to give us to position the position of the stone, the cornerstone. And he's going to describe Christ, and he's going to go deep into who he is, and his deity, what he means, what he stands for. And gang, we have to see that our lives are in Jesus Christ. We can't miss this part. Christ is everything. I'm going to tell you, it wasn't until about year nine of walking with the Lord that I began, the light bulb went off in my brain. And I realized it was all about Jesus Christ. I was around the things of Christ, and I was around the people of Christ. But I didn't really see that it was all about Christ. Just like the disciples, they were walking with him for three years. They didn't realize it was all about Christ. He had to tell them, John chapter 5, verse 39, you search the scriptures, you think that they give you eternal life, but they are the things that point to me. He constantly tried to tell them, they point to me. I am the person. They couldn't see that. They saw his miracles. They saw him touching people. They saw the impact, but they didn't see that he was the thing that they needed, just him, until he resurrected and opened their eyes, and now they saw that he was everything. He was their everything. And many of these men, the disciples, went on to be crucified and died for him because they knew he was everything. Is Jesus Christ everything to you? If you had nothing else, and it was just Jesus Christ, would you be satisfied? Or do you need other things with the Lord? The Colossians were getting ready to find out that the main thing that they needed was the Lord Jesus Christ and an accurate and a precise understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we begin here in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul the Apostle is going to prepare the foundation, before you build any structure, you always got to prepare the foundation. You got to make sure it's not shaky, it's firm. And this is what he intends to do, writing to the Colossians. Where the book of Ephesians concentrated more on the believer's, you know, the believer's position because of Christ. You know that Jesus did this for us and his grace saved us. The book of Colossians really speaks about the believer's proximity to Christ and how we can grow when we're in him. So we have to really pay attention to this, uh, the book of Colossians. And as Paul begins in verse 1, uh, there was a verse in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, that tells us that when he was in Ephesus teaching, it said, all of Asia Minor heard the gospel, the entire country, the entire two continents. He said the word of God everybody heard. Now I don't know how Paul got to that deduction. I don't know how he got to that, that reasoning and said that everybody heard but apparently many people were coming through listening while he taught in the school of Tyrannus and many people and possibly the guy that founded 
this church. Acts 19.10, you'll find that reference. But he says here in verse 1 of the book of Colossians, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As he always does, he begins with his acknowledgement to the believer. All right, this is how he always starts out his letter. And so, as he's preparing his foundation, he acknowledges them first. He says that he's an apostle. He, rep, he explains and, and he shows his position in Christ, the apostle. That he, there's authority there. And so he, he's never seen these believers. They need to understand that they could receive this letter from him and that this was an accurate man. This was a man that had been uh, tested and, and confirmed. And so he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle is one who has been sent. That, that's actually what the word means. It means sent one. One that was sent. Uh, but more importantly, Paul is using it as the office of an apostle. That's the difference between today. Some people, they still call themselves apostle such and such. But the office of apostle has been done away with, mainly because you read in the book of Acts chapter 1, that one of the criteria for being an apostle is that you had to see Jesus Christ with your physical eyes. And if you did not see him, you, you're not an apostle that contains and that holds the authority to speak on the scriptures and God uses to write the scriptures and write the church. Now the actual gift of apostleship is still in existence today because the gifts of the spirits are still working. So people are still being sent by the Lord every single day. They're leaving their birthplace or wherever they grew up and they're going to a country or going to a state or going somewhere to a city that God has called them to and they're fulfilling their ministry of apostleship but the actual authority, the position of an apostle is no more. And so Paul says as an apostle with the authority by the will of God and Timothy our brother I'm writing as well. He says, to the saints, the called out ones, the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Now, how would he know that they are faithful brethren? It's a good question. We have to ask ourselves. Why? Because oftentimes we equate faithfulness with time and longevity of commitment. You know, so we say a person has been faithful. We're like, yeah, they've been here for 15 years. They are faithful people. And that's not it just all the way. It does have something to do with time and commitment. But faithfulness is rooted in the, in the Greek word pistis, and that is faith. It is belief. And so when Paul says to the saints and the faithful brethren, we see that the commitment over longevity of time is only fueled and stimulated by the belief that's in the person's heart. And when they believe Jesus Christ, they are believers of faith. They believe in that, and so they can be called faithful. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul, the same writer here of Colossians, was writing to Timothy. And he said to Timothy, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. You see, God called him faithful before he even did anything for him. It wasn't like he served him 30 years and then he said, yeah, God said I was faithful because I served. You know, he counted me faithful and he put me into the ministry. That is because his heart was there. He was trusty. He believed on the Lord. And therefore, God could commit to him a certain work, a responsibility, a purpose. And then he could show his commitment and his faithfulness. And so faithfulness is not just over time and longevity, but faithfulness starts with the belief that fuels the commitment. So you can be a faithful believer in just a couple of hours. You believe in the Lord and you trust in the Lord and you continue with the Lord. And so Paul writes to the believers there and he calls them faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. He says, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in verses 3 down to verse 8 to really explain his acquaintance with these believers. Having never been there physically, 
How does he know about them? What does he know about them? What is his acquaintance with them? And so he says in verse 3, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Don't we hear that often in the letters? We heard that in the book of Ephesians. We heard that in the book of Philippians, that he is always praying for the believers. There's so much prayer, so many things to be prayed for. You wonder, how does he find time to do anything? He's always praying for somebody. And this, is a, this is a man that cares about people, and he's willing to stand in the gap. And so he tells them, he says, we're always praying for you. Look at verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. I love that phrase right there, since we heard of your faith. You see, faith is meant to be active and spoken loudly. It is not meant to be dormant and kept privately. That faith is meant to be loud. It is meant to impact other people. Paul says, we heard of your faith. Notice he didn't say, we heard of your miracles. He didn't say anything, we heard of your affluence. He didn't say anything like that. We heard of your faith. And faith is always meant to be active. Paul hears about their faith. And that is the thing that stimulates him, that motivates him when he hears these believers, their faith in Christ Jesus. How about you? Do people hear about your faith? In every place that you find yourself uh, going to and and walking through or being that, do people know about you? Can they tell your faith has been there? Have you made an impact to your environment? Uh, this is what Christians are called to do. They're called to dramatically affect their environment. You see, the Holy Spirit is not a force, but the way he works is oftentimes akin to the things of nature, like a wind. A wind rushes through. When you take a mighty wind, it'll blow the trees down. You know there was a strong wind in the area. What about a, a torrential flood? When the water comes through there and it runs through, it dramatically affects its landscape. And even a fire. The Holy Spirit is not a fire, but his, his, the effects that he has upon when areas that he comes through, it's like a fi fire comes through and burns down. We already see right now in the news, all the fires that are happening out on the West Coast and California is just, is just growing out of control. People are driving there on the interstate and the fire is just bleeding over into the interstate. And you know what it does? It'll burn all those trees down. And you know that a fire has been through there. Blackened. That's how the believer is supposed to be in their faith, when they come through a place, they're supposed to dramatically affect their environment. You're not supposed to just be there incognito. Nobody knows you're there and you're just, no. You're also not supposed to be all flamboyant, even rambunctious and, you know, and they just despise you because you're there. But you're supposed to dramatically affect it. People are supposed to know that there's a person they can come through when they have a problem just because of your life because of the light of Christ that is emanating so brightly through you. Paul says, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. This is possibly one of the smallest cities that Paul ever wrote a letter to, Colossae. I told you it was very insignificant, but very small as well. It wasn't a big city. It was not like Ephesus. It may be like Valdosta. You know, people didn't really want to come here or be here. Paul wrote this letter to these guys and said that their faith is even speaking miles away. He is all the way, remember, he is in Rome. That is on a different, an entirely different continent in the country of Italy. And he hears about these believers' faith. It's amazing stuff of what Christ can do through a, a person or, or a man. And he says this, we also heard of the love which you have to all the saints. So we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Here we see three factors that make up the sum of the Christian life. Faith, hope, and love. These are the three things that Paul sees in these believers that he hears about these believers. Their faith, 
their love, and their hope. And it makes up the sum, all the factors that describe our life as believers. These are the things that will stand the test of time. These are the things that will move into eternity. Faith, hope, and love. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 says, And now remains or abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so these are the things that will stand the test of time, that will go into eternity. Your faith, your love, your love for the brethren, so that it shows your love for Jesus Christ, love that he has for the world, and your hope, that you're not looking just at the things here, but you are hoping for something much, much later down the road. Faith, hope, and love. This is what Paul says he hears from these believers. And then he goes on to say, of which you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, verse 5 of Colossians 1, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come to you as it is in all the world and brings forth fruit as it does also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God and truth. We see here that the word of God is the thing that activates our faith. It activates our propensity, our propensity, I should say, to bearing fruit. It is the word of God. This is why this is so essential for us to be reading every day, for us to be familiar with the scripture, not just to gain knowledge, but to know so that our faith, hope, and love could be healthier, could grow, it could blossom and spread. And he says it was the word of God. It was the word of God that you heard, the truth of the gospel that came to you, just as it is in all the world. The world at that time was the known world, that Roman world. But it was spreading all throughout the gospel. People were going everywhere, preaching the word. It tells us that in Acts chapter 8. They went everywhere preaching the word, especially when the persecution happened at Jerusalem. They went everywhere preaching the word. And so the word was spreading, and it came to Colossae, and they heard the word. And faith, hope, and love was born. It's beautiful right there. It is the word of God that does it. This is why the Christian has to have a close relationship with the word of God. He cannot have a shallow relationship. She cannot have a shallow relationship with the Word of God. It has to be essential in our lives. It has to be our bread, spiritual bread. It cannot be we just eat once or twice during the week because if we try that physically, it doesn't work. You try to eat just once or twice. See how weak you become. See how malnourished you become. And it's the same principle for the spiritual things. You try to have just a diet with the Word of God just once or twice a week. Watch how malnourished you become spiritually. And we have to have a close relationship to this Word. This is what the Colossians had. They had a close relationship to the Word of God. And faith, hope, and love was bearing from their lives. And he goes on in verse 7. He says, As you have also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is for you, a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras was Paul's companion. Most believe it was Epaphras, based on verse 7 here, that preached the word of God to the Colossians. That he was one that was of this area. In fact, it tells us in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you. So we know that he was from this area. That's always the best way to impact an area is people from an area. Because you're, you're part of it. You know it. And people can receive you rather than coming from outside an area into an area. I love some of the ministries over there on the continent of Africa and some of our brothers that are serving the Lord and teaching the word of the Lord. They go over there and they're not asking more Americans to come. No, they're discipling the native people. And they go out and they bring forth much fruit, and they um, plant churches, and they are pastors out there. It's awesome to see stuff like that. And so this is what Epaphras did. He, he was a fellow servant, a laborer with Paul, and he called him a faithful minister of Christ. This was a man that believed the Lord, 
And he went there and spoke the word of the Lord. And the Colossians believed because of Epaphras. I love the saying where it says God provides for his people through his people to touch other people. That's how the Lord works and how the Lord moves. And so God used Epaphras. Now, it wasn't just Paul. Some people, you know, we take the, the mind state that it has to just be you. And then so then we become very conceited in our walk. And that is all about one person, but it's not. We see here that Paul is even rejoicing that Epaphras went back there and spoke to his people and comes back and brings a report that these believers love the Lord, that their faith, hope, and love is growing. And so that's an awesome thing there. This man was used by the Lord through the ministry of Paul to reach these other believers. The question is, how can you be used to reach other people? Because there are other people that need to know this gospel, this good news. There are other people that need a foundation in Jesus Christ. There are other people that need to know faith, hope, and love, that these are the things that are only going to stand in eternity. How were they here? I love how uh, Romans chapter 10 uh, asks the same question. In Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 14, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? A caruso is the Greek word. A caruso is just a herald. A king would come into a town and he would have someone running before his chariot, his carriage, and they would yell out and, and they would say, The king is coming. Make way for the king. He was a herald. How are you being a Caruso for the Lord? Going out and telling people about Jesus Christ. Telling people how they can grow in Jesus Christ. Where they can grow in Jesus Christ. That they need to get into his way. This is what Epaphras was. And he declared to Paul, the apostle, and the rest of the guys there, their love in the spirit. That these guys are genuine believers. These guys believe the Lord. And so Paul is sort of preparing the way. And now he pivots and he takes a different approach. In verses 9 through 13, he settles in on his advocacy. And that's a fancy word for being the man that stands in the gap. He becomes an advocate for these believers. Because immediately he goes in and he says, For this cause, Colossians 1.9, For this cause we also... Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Since the day that we heard it, we're praying for you. I love how this ministry wasn't just a ministry of signs and wonders. Though God did many special things through the hands of Paul. It tells us that in Acts chapter 19. Very many special things, but it wasn't really founded on those things. Where we really see this ministry being founded on is a ministry of prayer. They hear about an opportunity spiritually. Guess what? They're all praying about this thing. They're praying for these believers. Look, the, the prayer time is one of the most neglected times in the church. Most people don't want to pray. They look at that as an ancillary type of, you know, action in Christ Jesus, a, a behavior, a thing that you do. It's not something that's essential. It's ancillary. It's on the outside. It's not the main thing. And that's wrong brothers and sisters, prayer is the main thing. And we do well if we find ourselves in a place where prayer is happening. That's when God really begins to move. And these believers always pray. And so he says, he, he pivots and he says, we do not cease to pray for you. And then in his prayer, we find four elements for a healthy foundation in Jesus Christ. Four elements to his prayer. That shows us how to have a healthy foundation. The, the components of a healthy foundation. As they were reading this, I'm sure that they would, have be, they would have been thinking about this as well. Just as much as we need to think about this. Gang, we need to have a firm foundation. If our foundation is shaky, Luke chapter 6 says that when the trials come and the waters come and they 
roll over this thing that you're building. Your foundation is going to crumble because it is built on sand. It's not built on the rock. So we have to have a strong foundation because trials are going to come in our lives and test what we believe and what we say we know. And the foundation, he tells us in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says you got to dig deep, set your foundation on the rock. So when the trial comes, so when the things come to shake your faith, you won't be moved. You won't be shaken. So Paul gives us four elements here in his prayer. Verse 9, the first element, he tells us, he says, We do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The first element that we need, the first component that we need for a Healthy and strong foundation in Christ Jesus is a spiritual purpose. We need to know why we're living. Why God has us living for these things. He says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. In wisdom, knowing how to accomplish that knowledge of his will. And understanding when to accomplish that knowledge of his will. We need spiritual purpose. We need to know that we're not just existing. We didn't just get saved for no reason. We did not become born again for no reason. You have a spiritual purpose. Listen, a believer without a purpose is a believer susceptible to error and sin. If you don't have your, you don't have a purpose. And I'm not talking about God has called you to be a blank. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying you know that God has something for your life and he is intentional about everything with you spiritually that you cannot waste time, but you must be seeking him about what his will is, what you want me to do each day. Spiritual purpose. It tells us in the book of Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2. Also, that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. He that hastes with his feet sins. What it says is that the person that, it says zeal without knowledge is not good. That's basically what the writer is saying. The person that moves too quickly may go the wrong way. So you can't just have this zeal. Yes, I'm in Christ Jesus and I'm just loving everything. That's great. But you need to have the knowledge also of his will. You need to know what he wants you to do, when he wants you to do it. You need to have spiritual purpose. Without that purpose, you are aimless. And you are susceptible to being led back into error or into your previous sins. Even a spiritual error. There's so many people that are just off one calculation, man, and they're just messed up spiritually. They're believing some unhealthy doctrine. So we have to have spiritual purpose. So Paul prays that for them. He says, this is what we're praying for. Number two, back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, he says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. The second component or element for a healthy foundation is that you have to also have spiritual production. That's just a fancy way of saying that you need to be bearing fruit. Fruit has to come from your life. You have to bear fruit. You can't be a tree in the Lord that is bearing no fruit. That means you are outside of Him. See, bearing fruit enables us to walk a walk that is worthy of the Lord. That's what he's saying here. You have to bear fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And it starts there, increasing there with the knowledge of God, that you're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Write it down, 2 Peter 3.18. We have to grow in those two things, the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just a feeling Christianity is not just about a feeling and a zeal. There is some academics to it too. And we have to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, who he is. We got to know who he is. In John chapter 15, we read it last week, but I'm going to read it again because it is so appropriate for this. 
that he tells us in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. The only way we can bear fruit is if we are inside of Jesus Christ. The only way that we can know if we are inside of Jesus Christ is knowing more about Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 11. He says, Come, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. He tells them to come learn of me. Learn of me. I am meek and lowly. You shall find rest for your souls. Jesus says, Come learn of me. That means we must be students of the Master. We have to be disciples. The third principle, Colossians chapter 1, the third component for a healthy foundation. Verse 11, he says, Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, <clears throat> unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. <coughs> Excuse me. You need, we need, spiritual perseverance. We are going to need endurance. You know, endurance is the discipline that separates real progress from immediate gain. A lot of times we just want immediate gain. We just want it right now. But endurance, that is a discipline. And listen, it separates real progress from just getting something really quick. That's real progress with endurance. I love how a guy named David Roper in his book, Growing Slowly Wise, he says that endurance is long obedience in the same direction. That's what endurance is. You're doing the same thing. You're being obedient over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you are making real spiritual progress. We're going to need spiritual perseverance, endurance. We're going to need that. Because being in Jesus Christ, it is a natural thing for trials to come in our lives. We're going to have trials. We will have trials. Things that touch us physically. Things that touch us mentally. Things that are touching us all around us and practically. We're going to have trials. And those trials are going to try to shake you and destroy everything that is being built. But if the foundation is on Christ and you have perseverance, endurance, you'll continue. And this is what Paul is saying. We're praying that you might be strengthened with all might. That's God's power. He says, according to his glorious power, God's power, not standing on your own strength, but standing on God's strength so that you can have this endurance with some joy. And lastly, in verse 12 and 13, he says, giving thanks to the Father, which has made us meet or fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and light who has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The last component needed for a healthy foundation. The last thing that Paul prays for these believers is that these believers would have a spiritual perspective. A proper one at that. They need perspective also. He says, giving thanks to the Father, which has made us fit. You know what? Now, whenever you are giving thanks, what it does is it breeds appreciation. And appreciation generates humility and dependency. And when you realize that you're giving thanks to the Father who has done these things, that it has made you a partaker, and said that you were, you were enabled to be a partaker, and who has delivered you from the authority of darkness, and has transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son, then you can be appreciative. You can be humble. You can be dependent. And that is a strong foundation there. It's having a spiritual purpose. It's having some spiritual production and some fruit coming from your life. It's having spiritual perseverance. Then it's also having a spiritual perspective where you're not trusting in yourself. You're trusting in him. And Paul is making the way for the cornerstone to be set. For them to come in now and to lay the cornerstone. So that now their lives can be in proximity to the stone. And their lives can pivot off of the stone. And they can grow properly, and accurately, and precisely. 
This is what this man as a pastor is thinking about these people. And he wants them to know that Jesus Christ is the, is the main thing. But he prefaces all that by preparing the foundation first. And that was the title of our message this morning. But that's what it's all about is preparing the foundation. The question to you is, are you preparing the foundation? Have you prepared the foundation? Is the cornerstone set in your life? Can it be set in your life? Are these things evident in your life? Are you positioned to be bearing fruit? Are you positioned and, and, and trying to understand what his purpose for you is in life? Are you walking in endurance and perseverance? What kind of perspective do you have? Is it just focused on the here and now? Are you short-sighted, near-sighted? Do you have the long view? Next week, we're going to get into the rest of chapter 1, or, me, or maybe even part of it, so we could take it somewhat slow. But we will see now Paul trying to infuse the cornerstone into their minds. <coughs> so if they're going to get anything, they're going to get the greatest need from the apostle, which is the cornerstone of their faith, who is Jesus Christ. And he's going to get into that dear son, as he mentions there in verse 13. This morning, Pastor Deshaun introduced us to the theme of the book of Colossians, that the Christian's greatest need is the cornerstone, and to the different ways for believers to lay a healthy foundation. We can do so by having a spiritual purpose, a spiritual production, spiritual perseverance, and a spiritual perspective. You can visit our website for our sermon archive at ccvaldosta.weebly.com. You can also keep up to date with us on Twitter at cc underscore valdosta, or reach us by phone at 301-395-3382. And now we're going to close in prayer. So let's say a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for Colossians. Lord, and uh, we thank you for just the faith of these believers and how it was speaking loudly from miles away the work that you were doing in them. Pray that that would be the same work that you're doing in us. And I pray that you would help us to examine ourselves and to think about if we have a firm foundation, if we're building our lives upon the rock or upon the sand. And if there's any sandy parts, you would help us to make the correction quickly. And I pray, Lord, that you would prepare us to see Jesus Christ lifted up high, that you would prepare us to sanctify him, set him apart in our hearts, that he would have the preeminence in our lives. And when people see us, we'll be only concerned that they see the Son, your Son, our Savior. So we love you, Lord. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.